Father, we thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day. Thank you, Lord, for waking us up, for getting us out of bed, for getting us here to fellowship. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified, that you'd be glorified through this message, you'd be glorified through our lives, that the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you, O Lord. Wherever we're at, may we do everything for your glory. So guard us from the evil one, Lord. Guard us from the schemes and the fiery darts of the enemy. Help us to take up the full armor of God so that we may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Father, strengthen us, strengthen our faith, strengthen our walks with you, edify us, build us up, Lord, unify this fellowship and help us to go out into this world to be salt and light. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't fear anything, that we would fear you, Lord, above all, that we would love you above all and that we would long to grow in in our love for one another, loving our neighbor as ourselves. So help us to pursue these things Help us through the power of the Holy Spirit in us to accomplish these things through Christ. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Title of today's teaching is We Need to Know This. We Need to Know This. Every day, tests come our way in life revealing who we are. Every single day, you are being tested. Your life is one big test, but every day, there are little tests that come your way, and other days, there are big tests that come your way. And First Peter 1.7 tells us that when the trials of life come our way, that our faith is being tested by fire. I actually looked up articles on gold. How do you destroy gold? And one article said, you really can't destroy it. It said there was this certain amount of acids that you can put together and try to destroy gold. And then articles were going back and forth on that. But you can heat gold as much as you want. You can, I don't know, throw thousands of degrees of temperature at it. It can be turned into a liquid and whatnot. But It's constantly being purified by fire. And that, in a sense, is our lives, our faith, our walks with the Lord. He's purifying us. He's testing us. He's trying us. He's he's examining us. And so at the end of the day, or even I should say at the end of our lives, when the dust settles, when our faith remains, then we can rejoice that we have faith in Christ, that Christ is ours. That is proof. And Peter says that's a proof more precious than gold, that Christ is ours, salvation is ours, and that we will have the imperishable, undefiled inheritance which is reserved in heaven for you and me. 1 Peter 1.5 says we are protected by God through faith for this inheritance. We're protected. That should give you some relief. That should give you some rest. That if you are in the faith, God is protecting you by his power, his Holy Spirit in you. What do you have to fear? So many people fear in this world. So many things to fear. AI, you know, artificial intelligence. And what is this going to do to the world? And are they going to take over the internet? And is it going to be like, you know, there's always something. One day it's COVID, the next day it's AI, the next day it's China, the next day it's North Korea, the next day it's this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And people are scared. People are freaked out. And we as Christians, we need to solidify our faith in the Lord. We need to fear him above all. We need to be in his presence. We need to be in fellowship. We need to be with one another and remind each other that God's in control, that we're his children, that he loves us and he has an inheritance in store for us that no one can take away from you or I. Several tests came my way this last Thursday. Nothing too crazy. I just want to share a couple of the tests that came my way as it relates to the verse that I want to look at. 
on Thursday we were getting Verity ready for her soccer game, my daughter Verity, and Thursdays can be a little hectic. Tuesdays and Thursdays we're trying to get the house ready, cleaned up, so you guys come over, we fellowship and whatnot, and so getting all the stuff together, getting Verity dressed. She couldn't find her shin guards, so we're looking for those. She found one shin guard, and the coach told her, if you don't wear your shin guards, you can't play. So she's freaking out. If the coach finds out I don't have the other shin guard, I can't play. And so we look, and we turn over the whole house, and we can't find this one shin guard. So I just went to the recycle bin and grabbed a cereal box and just cut out part of the cardboard and said, here you go, honey. And uh, <laughs> I, was, I was just like, you know what? Put this in your sock, okay? I want to see the coach look at this. You guys are like five years old. Like, I don't think it really matters. And so anyway, we get everything together. I load up the kids, race over to the field, get there, unload the kids, unload Mercy and get her doll and her snacks and the chairs. And we walk all the way to the field. And then we see that Verity's wearing the wrong uniform. Everyone's wearing black. She has on blue. And the game's about to start. And she's crying. And I wore the wrong uniform. And I'm like, you're supposed to bring both uniforms. Haven't we told you that? And so we go back to the car. We load everyone up, load all the snacks, load all the everything, buckle them in, go home, get the right uniform, get back to the game, which is already who knows how many minutes into the game. And she runs out onto the field. And I can tell her, I can see her telling the coach, like communicating maybe she was even crying I don't know she was all emotional and the coach is like it's okay and I think the coach just threw her right into the game at that point so that was cool that was test number one and I, I gotta say I didn't totally lose it you know I held it together for the most part the ride home you know it was a little I was trying to drive the 20 miles an hour through the neighborhood might have gone a little bit over don't tell my uh, sheriff neighbor but I had a couple other tests in the middle of that after the after the game, Leland says, I want to go to Blaze Pizza. And so if I tell you every test that happened this day, it's going to be the whole message. So let me just give you two more quick ones. I'm in line at Blaze Pizza. I take him there, even though I'm cheap and I just want to go home and make them food. I take him to Blaze Pizza. We're in line. I've never been, but so I'm trying to figure out how to order and do all this. And I finally figure it out. I'm like, okay, Leland and Verity are going to split a pizza. And so I tell the guy, gluten-free this, gluten-free, dairy-free, and that my kids are gluten-free, dairy-free. That makes things challenging. But anyway, Leland looks at me, goes, I want my own pizza. And I'm like, you guys can just split, right? Like, how big are these pizzas? And so it turns from a conversation to my son just kind of losing his entire stability in front of everyone. And he's crying, and he's going... He's not screaming, but he's crying, and it's just turning into this big thing, and the line's starting to build, and I'm like, do I get him a full pizza? Do I get uh, uh, Verity a pizza? Mercy, how do I do this? And I'm just like, fine, pizza for him, sir, pizza for her, pizza for me, just pizzas all around. I was almost just buying pizza for the people behind me. I was was starting starting to lose it almost, and I'm just like, okay, keep your cool, keep your cool, right? Last test, we go to sit down. Pizzas are delivered. I'm trying to relax, and I get cups of water for everyone. And Mercy's drinking water, and she's doing good. And then all of a sudden, she just, maybe it was inadvertently, I don't know, but she smacks her water with all the ice all over the floor of Blaze Pizza. And so people are looking at me, and by this point, I'm just like, okay, Verity, go get me some napkins, honey. And (laughs) so I spent the next, I don't know, 10 minutes cleaning up that mess. 
those were a couple tests that came my way on Thursday before we finally made it home and, and went from there. So tests come our way in life, right? How, how do we react when tests of life come our way? For me, it's kids that have been testing me lately. For you, it might be something else. But what comes out of our heart? What do we say? How do we, re- we react? What are people in Blaze Pizza who are looking at me? How, how am I going to react? I want to look at James chapter 1, verse 19. I want to look at verse 20 as well, but specifically verse 19 is the verse that we're going to be camping out on today. Two weeks outside of Colossians, if I, if I keep this up, I don't know what we're going to do. But James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 says, This you know. Several translations say, know this, hence the title. We need to know this. Know this, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Sinful anger is the natural, sinful anger is the natural, fleshly, human response to the tests and trials that come our way in life. Let me say that again. Sinful anger is the natural, fleshly, human response to the tests that come our way in life. Do nothing. Don't pray. Don't meditate on the word of God. Don't fellowship. Don't fight the good fight of faith. And be sure that what will be left over will be sinful anger. It will be there. Get checked out of fellowship. Get out of the word of God. Don't pray. Don't fight the good fight of faith. Don't put to death the deeds of the body by the spirit like Romans 8.13 says. And be sure what's left will be sinful anger. It will pop up in your life. It will rear its ugly head. It's going to rear its ugly head no matter what. The question is what are you going to do with it? I'm, I'm reminded of the, the whack-a-mole game at the arcade where those little whack-a-mole, those little moles pop up. What? What are you going to do? Are you going to just let sinful anger pop up? Are you going to let it reside in your life? Are you going to coddle it? Are you going to say, I deserve this, or I, I have the right to be angry? Which we, I'll cover in a little bit, briefly. There's sinful anger and there's righteous anger. But today we're talking about how to rid how, how to rid sinful anger from your life. We don't want to entertain it. We don't want to feed it. We want to send it back to where it belongs. It does not, James says, it does not achieve the righteousness of God. We need to cry out to God that he would help us as Christians drive anger out from our lives. You see, when my kids are doing this or that or my son's losing it and blazed pizza, he's not a perfect kid. He is, a, you know, I don't want to give a bad impression that he's just a horrible kid. He's a good kid, but we're tested What's my response? What is your response when these trials come our way? Ephesians 4:31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So we need to show that same patience. Paul's saying, show that same kindness, that same tenderheartedness. Remember how patient Jesus is with you. 
Remember how kind Jesus is to you. Remember how tender-hearted Jesus is to you. Remember that Jesus went to death for you and your sin. So when people wrong you, when people hurt you, when people malign you, when your kids throw a fit and do all sorts of crazy things, extend patience. Extend kindness. Be tender-hearted. Yes, there's a time to be firm. There's a time to be bold. This takes biblical wisdom. This takes the Holy Spirit. This takes us on our knees before the Lord saying, help me to discern these things. One commentary states of anger, quote, the devil is always busy when we are angry and in some way, if possible, will lead us into sin. The best way to avoid his wiles is to curb the temper and restrain even sudden anger. No man sins by restraining his anger. No man is certain that he will not who indulges it for a moment. He's commenting there on Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry, yet do not sin. Be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. You will give the devil an opportunity if you go to bed angry. We need to be so discerning that if we are saying this is righteous indignation, we need to be sure of that. We need to make sure that we're also with that mindset, realizing that the enemy is right there. And he wants to, even if you have righteous indignation, he wants to then turn that into sinful anger very quickly. And I think all too many people, I think all too many Christians, and even myself, I justify it. This is righteous anger. This happened, this happened, this reason... I have a right to be angry. And I think we need to be very, very careful with that. Sometimes I believe that's the enemy or our flesh whispering that in our ear. This is, this is a righteous anger. This is, this is a good anger. You should be angry. Or he'll remind us, look what this person did to you. Look what that person did to you. Look what your kids, whatever it may be in your life. And I'm saying we need to be very, very careful it's been said it's like poison. Anger is like poison. Poison is sometimes used as medicine. They use snake poison, right? Snake venom, if you get bit by a snake, sometimes that works. And this, It's been said like poison, sometimes used as medicine. It is used with extreme caution. Use anger with extreme caution. Be angry and yet do not sin. For we need to discern when it's righteous indignation the abortion holocaust, kids being sold into sex slavery and things like this. No, yeah, there is a point. Yeah, we need to be angry about these things, right? We need to also then take that anger and say, Lord, what am I to do with that? Does that mean I need to harbor bitterness? Oh, I'm angry about this, so now that anger is just going to pour out to people all around me? We need to be discerning. So the question for today is how do we restrain sinful anger? How do we not be quick to embrace anger in our lives? According to James 1.19, the first point that he gives us, but let everyone be quick to hear. This needs to be an attribute in all of our lives. We need to be quick to listen, quick to hear. This isn't a suggestion. James isn't saying, I think this is a good idea. You should give this a try. He's saying, my beloved brethren. And by the way, this entire book, he's rebuking them very strongly. 
yet I love that he's saying my beloved brethren. It's the same word that God uses, God the Father, to describe Jesus and calls him my beloved son. And so he extends this in several of the verses. My beloved brethren, you need to do this. You need to be quick to listen. But James, but the Apostle James, listen, I have three kids. You don't understand what it's like. Didn't I just tell you those trials and these tests? You expect me to hold it together and not get angry during that? His response, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, when we can answer back like that. Consider it all joy. Not consider it anger. Consider it all joy, my brethren. James 1, verses 2 through 4. When you encounter various trials, when you encounter various tests in life, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He's doing something in the trials. He's doing something in the tests that come our way. He's molding us. He's shaping us. He's creating a steadfastness in us. He's creating a maturity in us. This is a, it's a time of training that we're going through these things. And instead of buck against it, instead of getting angry, he's saying, consider it all joy. Do the math. Add it up. Realize that this is for your good and for God's glory when you are going through trials in life. Turn the anger into joy. Does that mean you're going to feel joy? Does that mean as I'm driving home, getting the other jersey, and I'm getting the kids out of the car and cleaning up water all over the floor, that I feel joy in that moment? Am I jumping up and down with the joy of the Lord? I think he's saying consider it joy. Know what God is doing in and through this. He's purifying you. He's preparing you for glory. It's not purposeless. Look at James 1.12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trials or under trial for once he has been approved or once he has passed the test, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be filled with joy? We need to persevere. We need to endure these tests and trials that come our way and do it without being quick to anger. So we need to consider a joy. We need to be quick to listen. We need to be quick to hear. I'm constantly thinking about Christ in the garden. I'm thinking about meditating on Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Th- those are three big verses right there. Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy set before him, He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Did he feel joy? Did he feel joy in the Garden of Gethsemane? Did he feel joy as Judas was betraying him? Did he feel joy as he's sweating drops of blood? Did he feel joy as he's falling on his face and trembling with anguish as he's about to drink the cup of the wrath of God. He said in Matthew 26, 38, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. This is a battle raging in the garden, continuing all the way to the cross. And I don't think Jesus felt joy in that moment. 
Maybe there was little glimmers or pockets of joy, but it was the joy that set before him. He's thinking about eternity. He's thinking about being at his father's right hand with all authority in heaven and on earth, ruling forever and ever. He's thinking about purchasing his bride, you and me. He's thinking about blessing us in his presence forever. He's thinking about wiping away our tears and sorrow and seeing the joy that we'll have in his presence, his fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16, 11. That's what Jesus was considering. There was no room for anger. You don't see Jesus angry in the garden. You don't see Jesus angry. At least I don't see him angry. You see him considering it all joy as he's being made perfect. It actually says that in the book of Hebrews. Though Jesus was perfect, though he never sinned, it says by obedience he learned how to submit to his father and was perfected through it. And so that when we obey him, we're then made mature in his likeness. So Jesus was quick to listen, as James 1.19 tells us. He was quick to listen. And you say, who is he quick to listen to? You know, when I look at this verse, when I've read this verse before, I think the number one thing I always thought was to be quick to listen to others. So this is how you subdue anger in your life. Be slow to speak. Be quick to listen, slow to anger. So I, I just took this in my marriage and in my relationships and with my kids. I just need to have a listening ear to them. And that's definitely, I believe, what's going on in this verse. But I didn't realize, first and foremost, it needs to be to God. We need to be quick to listen to him. We need to have our ears open to him. If we're constantly talking, constantly giving our opinion, like we know it all, we're we're pushing out his voice. We're pushing out his word. And so there is Jesus in the garden. He's praying to his father. He's, if you will, listening. Father, am I still going forward with this? Let this cup pass from me, not yet not my will be done. Your will be done. Father, is it still the same plan? I mean, is, is there any other way? If so, just go ahead and command it down from heaven. If something's changed, let me know because my flesh is overwhelmed right now. I don't want to go to the cross. He's, he's battling with it. He wants to go. He knows he's going to go. He knows he needs to fulfill the scripture, yet the battle was raging. It was real. And instead of turning to anger, he turns to listen to the Father. The word is confirmed, and he moves forward. In the battle to restrain sinful anger, we don't have an option. We must be quick to listen first to the Lord as we cry out to him, Lord, I need help to respond properly in a Christ-like way to the tests that come my way in life. Whatever the tests are that are coming your way. Lord, here is my test. Here is my trial or when they do come your way. Lord, how do I respond to this in a Christ-like way? What is the model? I don't want to be sinfully angry during this trial and during this test. Help me to look to Christ. I thought of Isaac. Genesis 22, Abraham is going up to the mountain with Isaac and you don't see a lot of dialogue there. We don't know all that was transpiring as they were talking, walking up to this mountain. But the text just tells us in Genesis 22, one of the few things Isaac said is, where's the offering? And Abraham's like, the Lord will provide. 
And then before you know it, Isaac, obviously, is the offering. And there he is. And it's like, would he be angry? Would you be angry if you're about to be put to death by someone? He's just submitting himself to his father. And I think that's why we get angry. There's an unwillingness to submit to what the father has allowed in our lives. It's, it's pride in that we're saying, no, my will. I want to do this. My, why is this happening to me? My reputation, whatever it may be. No, Lord, I need to submit. This is happening for a reason. I don't understand it all, but I'm going to submit to your will. I'm handing this over to you. I don't know why there's water and ice all over the floor, Lord. You're doing something in it. Help me to now clean it up with joy and back to work. So we need specific verses Part of listening, being quick to listen to the Lord is saying, Lord, give me specific verses. Give me specific promises. Give me guidance from your word so that I can now apply it in my life so that that I can drive out anger as I endure and consider the joy set before me. So first, be quick to hear from the Lord. Second, be quick to hear from others. And again, our natural, fleshly, sinful inclination is to not be quick to hear. Our first inclination is to want to speak. We have points. We have reasons. We have answers. We have conclusions. We feel a certain way. And we want to be quick to share these things. I mean, it's just convicting putting this together. I know in my marriage when Leah and I are having a discussion about things, I'm very quick to be the first one to talk. I need to step back. I need to be listening. I I need to be listening with the same attentive ear that I want her to give me when I'm talking to her. Whenever I'm talking to her, I would love it if her ear is just attentive to me. No phone, no kids, just her focusing on what I'm saying because to me it's really important. And so I need to do the same, right? That takes humility. We must ask some of these sobering questions, some of these practical, sobering questions. You know, if I'm on the computer, someone emails me, am I quick to email back? Am I quick on the keyboard? Am I, am I quick when someone texts me and I don't like the text or whatever? Am I quick to text message back? Am I quick to confront? Am I quick to rebuke? Am I quick to share my points, my reasons, my way? Or am I quick to hear, quick to listen to the Lord, to others? Am I quick to be a learner? Am I quick to be humble and consider others more important than myself? Or do I have it all figured out? And do I have it all figured out before I've heard the other side? If you go online, you can just see this all over the place. People have it all figured out. They've got it. They just know everything. Ask my son. He knows everything too. It's like, I'm like, honey, I have to remind you, you're eight years old. Even on the way to church, I was saying something, and he goes, no, 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 that's not right. And he believes it in his mind. Like, he's the ultimate authority on, like, almost anything. It's amazing. And it it just reminds me of how we can be, and it reminds me of how a lot of people are online. Just everyone's an expert in everything because they watch this YouTube video, or they watch this thing, or they read this book, and now all of a sudden just everyone's an expert. And it's like the internet age has done this to us. We as Christians need to be sober-minded 
We need to practice self-control. We need to be different from everyone around us. We need to pray that God gives us humility. James 1.19 will fall into place in our lives when we pray for humility, when we live humbly before God. Then our ears are going to open up, our mouths will be shut, and sinful anger will not find its place in our lives. Look at verse 21 of chapter 1, James 1.21. He says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. That word humility translated gentleness, meekness. With gentleness, meekness, humility, receive the word implanted. The therefore is connecting those two previous verses. We need Christ-like humility. And ironically, James is writing to a very prideful, arrogant people. This whole letter, he's rebuking them over and over again. James 2.6, he rebukes them for dishonoring the poor among them. They're saying to the wealthy and the rich, come sit. You get, you get front row seats, okay? You get, you get a nice welcome basket. Everyone else, they don't get a welcome basket. It doesn't say that. I just added that. But you, you get the front row seats. Maybe you get a little seat warmer. I don't know, a little fan. You're getting, you're getting top priority, first class. Poor people, you smell. You go to the very back, okay? And if you want to meet with the pastor, there's a long waiting list, okay, with the rich folks. And essentially, that's what's going on, and he's rebuking them strongly. Who are you to show partiality? Don't you know it's even the rich man who's just destroying you guys and slapping you in the face and taking you to court, and you don't care about that. You just care that money's coming in or that they have some prestige in the world. Don't overlook the poor man. Christ became poor for us. You're not being Christ-like to them. So he rebukes them strongly for that. He rebukes them in chapter 2 when they say, oh, we have faith. Faith is all we need. Works, that, that, that work stuff, James, that's, that's optional. James says, no, faith without works is dead. You say you believe, the, the demons believe and they shudder. You think that's good enough just saying you have faith? No, be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. You're deceiving yourselves. Strong rebuke, James 2, James 4, 1 through 3. They're quarreling, they're lusting, they're fighting. He rebukes them for that. He calls them adulteresses, James 4.4, 4, double-minded and sinners, James 4.8. He says, your boasting and your arrogance is evil. And then in James 4.8 and 9, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. He's not holding back. You're not going to see sermons like this in some of the megachurches around our culture. You're going to have half the building leave before the sermon's over. Be miserable, mourn, and weep. You could argue, James, you're angry. And he would say, this is, what sinful, this is what righteous indignation looks like. This is God's heart towards sin. This is God's heart towards division in the church. This is God's heart towards people who are overlooking the poor and are living selfish lives and think they're okay with God. This is what righteous indignation looks like. And look, I'm calling them my beloved. I care about these people. I want them to change. I'm trying to snatch their souls from hell. And that's what righteous indignation does. You might be really angry about something, but are you willing now to lay down your life for that somebody? Are you really willing to do good to that somebody? You could argue Stephen had 
righteous indignation as he's telling the Pharisees and religious leaders, you stiff-necked men who always resist the Holy Spirit, you wicked people. And then he says as he's dying, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. You want to have true righteous indignation. It needs to be coupled with love. So he's showing forth God's heart towards sin. They weren't quick to hear. They were quick to speak. They were quick to anger. He spends a whole chapter, pretty much, chapter three on talking about how the tongue is the spark that can set a whole fire, a whole forest ablaze. And so he walks through the tongue and he walks through how a ship is just by its own little rudder can be steered. And he talks about how animals can be tamed, but he says nobody can tame the tongue. And he says one minute you guys are blessing the Lord and the other minute you're just spewing curses and obscene things. And he goes, this can't be so. We need to tame our tongue. We can destroy people with it. Now, is it our actual tongue? Is it the actual physical tongue within your mouth? Or is it like Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Our hearts are evil and deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? It starts at the heart level. It starts deep down within our souls. So James' his exhortation is to be quick to hear and to be slow to speak. Now the Proverbs say a lot about speech. I want to give you four verses from the Proverbs and I want to give you a verse from Ecclesiastes about our speech. Proverbs 10.19 When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 13.3 Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Proverbs 17.28 Even a fool when he keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is counted prudent. Told our, to speak about our kids again real quickly. We told them, you guys are going to be limited on words per hour in our house. Because, now if my son Leland was just talking about scripture and he just wants to talk, I'd be like all day long. Like, let's do this. But he'll come up to Lee and I, it's like he pops out of bed and the first thing is, where's that necklace you just ordered me? Where, when am I going to go to the skate park today? Where's my, I want to get a new bike. I want to do this. I want to play with my friends. I want to go to Asher and Aiden's and I want to go do this. And you're just like, okay, slow down, first of all. And then we tell him, okay, it's time to do school work, time to do that. I don't want to do that. And so then we hear more words about how he doesn't want to do that. And it's just talk, 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 talk. And I, we said, okay, we're just going to put a limit. You're going to have like 50 words an hour. You're going to have to choose these wisely, what you're going to say. You want to talk about that necklace, you're going to use up your 50 words. You're not going to have any. I ordered him a $2 necklace with a cross on it. And unfortunately, I got it from China. So it's taking like three weeks to get here. So every morning he's like, is the necklace here yet? Is it? And I'm like, honey, it's, we got the cheap necklace and it was free shipping. So it's going to be like two more weeks, but it wears us out all the words. And we're saying, dude, slow down. We're going to put a cap on this. Proverbs 2920. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Ecclesiastes 5.2, do not be quick with your mouth, 
Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven. You're on earth. Let your words be few. We need to fear God. We need to tremble before him. We need to be quick to hear him and slow in his presence. Colossians 4, 6 puts it this way. Let your speech always be with grace with grace or gracious, seasoned as it were with salt so that you may know how you should respond to each person. That takes, as I mentioned, discernment, wisdom. How are you to respond in each situation of your life to each person? And he says, let it always be with grace, seasoned with salt. It was said of the man Xenocrates, who was actually a Greek philosopher from 4th century B.C., that when he was being reproached constantly, he met the reproach with silence. And his followers and people were asking him, why? Why are you silent? He said, because I have sometimes had occasion to regret that I have spoken, never that I was silent. Ecclesiastes 3.7, there's a time to tear apart. There's a time to sew together. There's a time to be silent, and there's a time to speak. There's a time to be silent. There's a time to speak. There's a time to preach. There's a time to share the gospel. There's a time for everything in its season, and we need to do these things appropriately. That's why I go back to wisdom. That's why I go back to relying on the Holy Spirit, seeking God's counsel. So as I get ready to bring this to a close, perhaps at this point you're saying, like me, I've blown it. Perhaps some of these verses I've shown you, you're going, okay, you got me. I haven't been perfect in this area. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. If any of you did that perfectly, then you're Jesus, okay? So you're all guilty. I'm just actually, I'm telling you you're guilty, okay? Because I'm guilty too. Some of us, we need more work than others depending on what season of our life. But guess what? God's patient with you and I. He's very, very patient with us. I know that because he tells us in his word, but I just want to spend a minute or two as I bring this to a close to talk to you about a man named Peter. You ever heard of him? Peter. He was very quick to say what came to his mind. Just read the Gospels. Foot and mouth syndrome. That's what they call it. There was many times he shouldn't have said something, but it just came out. He was hasty in his words. He was the opposite of James 1.19. You remember Jesus? He said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die at the hands of the religious leaders. I'm going to suffer and die. And Peter pulls him aside and hastily says, Lord, I rebuke you. Lord, may it never be. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You don't have God's mind. You have man's mind. He was about to get in the way of Jesus bringing salvation to the entire world. Talk about being hasty with your words. Talk about pride and arrogance, telling Jesus that he's not going to the cross and not going to die and suffer. That was number one. Number two, the Last Supper, Matthew 26, 31, Jesus said, you will all fall away. This night, you're all going to fall away. Does Peter say, oh, Lord, what help me. I don't want to fall away. I'm humble, Lord. I'm quick to hear. Tell me more, Lord. No. Even though I'll fall away because of you, I will never fall away, Jesus. Strike two, Peter. He's not done yet, though. 
Now Jesus has been betrayed. Jesus is now in that, he's in the high priest's, He's in the temple. He's being questioned. He's being now beaten. He's being spit upon. He's being maligned. He's being blasphemed. And there's Peter in the courtyard, warming himself by the fire and using his words to vehemently deny Jesus Christ, the one who's about to die for him. Again, Peter with his words, denying the Lord. Strike three. But if that's not enough, there's one more. Jesus was there restoring Peter. After all of that, now Jesus is crucified. He dies and imagine how Peter feels at this point. Time after time after time. Opening his mouth when he shouldn't. Opening, should be opening his ears more. He's not listening. He's not humble. Jesus dies and then he finds out Jesus rose, right? And there he is on that Galilean shore. Jesus is sitting on the shore. Peter jumps out of the boat. He swims over to Jesus. And it's this beautiful scene at the end of the book of John. And Jesus is restoring Peter. Peter, tend my sheep. Shepherd the lambs, Peter. Peter, I'm going to use you mightily. Peter, you're going you're gonna to die. You, people are going to stretch you out where you don't want to go at the end of your life. You're going to glorify God in the way that you die. Wow, this beautiful moment. What does Peter do? Thank you, Lord. I want to do your will. Peter can't help himself. I believe again, he's hasty in his words. And he looks back at John and he says, Lord, and what about this man? To which Jesus responds, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You, Peter, follow me. Talk about patience. I believe the Lord included all these passages to show us, look, I am patient with you. I am long-suffering. I am tender-hearted towards you who have failed in this area. Peter went on to be a pillar of the early church, a leader of the early church. And tradition tells us he was crucified upside down because when they went to crucify him, he said, I am not worthy to die in the same manner as my Lord. Crucify me upside down. The man who once struggled with pride and arrogance and hasty words is now humble. And he writes at the end of his life, 1 Peter 5, 5, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows grace and favor to the humble. I love that. I love the transformation in Peter's life. From pride to humility, willing to do anything for Jesus. He learned the hard way. God wants us to have that humble heart. He who's forgiven much loves much. We all need forgiveness. We need to truly understand that God loves us. He's patient with us and extend that patience and kindness and tenderheartedness to others so that we can be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. May the Lord help us. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. We need your grace so much. We need your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that you give us an example like Peter, a man who struggled, Lord, as we all do with different things in our lives, yet you restored him, you showered him with grace and love, and you used him mightily, Lord, and he glorified you with his death. Do the same in our lives, Lord. Help us to be humble before you. Help us to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. In Jesus' name. Amen.